This is a BBP News breaking news alert. We have two breaking news stories right at the top of the show for this Friday morning. California Senator Dianne Feinstein has died at the age of 90 years old. This is after a long battle with several illnesses and the struggle of from recovering from shingles. And also, the Supreme Court has agreed to decide whether state laws that seek to regulate Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter, or other known as X and other social media platforms, violate the Constitution. I'm sure we will have much more on both of these Monday morning. Coming up on BBP News, we are just hours away from a government shutdown. What does this mean for you? Millions of families with children could see their child care costs skyrocket. And home prices are continuing to rise. Welcome back, everybody, to another news episode. It is Friday, September 29th, the year, of course, 2023, although I'm going to blink and I won't be able to say that anymore. But, uh, Chris, welcome here with us. And uh, start us off here. Start us off before we get into anything else with the weather headed into this weekend. Well, you know, I do have to say this before we even do that. Okay. You said September 29th. Now I was about to correct you so ridley, and then I'm like, oh my god, it is the 29th. I've been thinking today. I've been thinking today's the 30th all day. Uh, trust me, I cannot tell you how messed up my days have been for weeks now. Just, not even the date, literally, just the day. Is it Monday? Is it Tuesday? Is it Saturday? Like, what day are we actually operating on right now? But anyways, um, yeah, let's jump right into the weather. In Los Angeles, California, it is raining 64 degrees. We're the mostly clear weekend in Houston, Texas. It is mostly clear, 92 degrees with a partly cloudy weekend. In Chicago, Illinois, it is mostly clear with a high of 73 degrees and a clear weekend. And in New York City, there are scattered thunderstorms with a high of 64 degrees and a clear weekend. All right. Well, again, I just have to say it's it's nice to be back here. It's nice to uh, be recording here again. You know, things have been absolutely insane. Chris, you and I both got sick at the same time, so that that, that that's been chaos. It's been fun. I enjoyed being sick. That, <laughs> you know, it's just that time of year where it's just getting sick all all the time, and hopefully, I'm done for the season. I usually have one point. One point during the fall where I get sick, and then that's it. And I'm hoping this was my one time, and now I'm good. We can have, like, one time during the winter, but beyond that, no getting sick. Not allowed. I don't want to get technical here, though. Uh-huh. But when you got sick, it wasn't officially fall yet. <sighs> All right, fine. If you want to operate on the technicality, so, I still there- have my one time <laughs> remaining. See, I'm sure there'll be much more to discuss on that topic, but we do have plenty of news to get into starting starting out this morning. We are just hours away from a government shutdown, and so many of you have asked what happens during a government shutdown, what's open, what's closed. First, you have to understand a government shutdown is not random. It is scheduled, and it happens. It doesn't mean the U.S. government is broke, and it doesn't mean the government has no money. The U.S. government has plenty of money, 
if the government shuts down, it means Congress failed to do the one job it has. See, the U.S. government runs on a fiscal year from October 1st through September 30th, and every single year it is Congress's job to find a way to fund the government before the fiscal year ends. That means it's Congress's job to figure out how much money each department and agency will get in their budget and figure out which priorities will be funded and which will not. And if September 30th comes and goes and there is no spending plan approved by both the House and Senate and signed by the president, no government agencies or departments get their budget allocations so they don't have the money to operate. They have to close and the government shuts down. Does that make sense? Okay, now that you know why the government shutdown happens, let's talk about what happens when the government shuts down. In a shutdown, the federal government must stop all non-essential functions until a spending bill is passed. Each agency and department determines what work is essential and what is not. The White House keeps a department-by-department -department list of shutdown plans. So how does each department and agency decide which workers are essential and which are not? The anti Deficiency Act defines essential as if it shuts down, it would immensely threaten the safety of human life or the protection of property. So any agency or federal employee whose job it is to protect the safety of human life or protection of property will stop working and everyone else will be furloughed. And if they are a federal employee who is considered essential, it is very likely that they will have to work but will not receive a paycheck. Once the government is funded by law, they will receive back pay, but that could be weeks or even more than a month, depending on how long it takes Congress to pass a spending bill. So, now that we know which workers are considered essential, you can probably guess which departments stay open during a government shutdown. Active duty military members, many federal law enforcement officers, including Border Patrol, air traffic controllers, TSA officers, and employees at federally funded hospitals are usually considered essential, so they will still have to report to work and they will likely not be paid. The VA will also stay open. But you know who's considered essential and still gets paid? Congress. Yes, the people responsible for the shutdown report to work and still get a paycheck now here's what will close depending on how long the shutdown lasts national parks could close and passport processing could slow down or stop federal courts including immigration courts could start postponing or canceling hearings and some federal government contractors may not get paid Entitlement programs like Social Security, Disability, Medicare, and Medicaid will still be processed and the post office will stay open. However, some of the federal employees who work at those places are considered non-essential, so if you're looking to get help at those places or want to process new disability or Social Security claims or have questions about your existing benefits, getting those answers may become difficult. The last time the government shut down was for 35 days under President Trump in 2018 and 2019. At the time, that was the longest shutdown in 40 years. The standoff in Congress back then was over the president's demand for almost $6 billion to fund his border wall project. The, the shutdown cost the American economy billions of dollars. And after five weeks, former President Trump ultimately signed a spending plan that did not include the funding that he wanted for the border wall. So what's the political point of a shutdown? 
Really nothing. It's just a failure of Congress. It doesn't hurt the lawmakers on Capitol Hill, and it doesn't fundamentally change how the government functions. It doesn't make the government smaller. And in short term, it only hurts the federal workers and you and me. But historically, those lawmakers who are responsible for the shutdown do eventually feel the pain when voters go to the ballot box. As I just said, we are hours away from a government shutdown, and those usually cause problems at airports across the country because the FAA, which of course is the federal agency that runs airports, but the FAA could be hit with a double whammy. This time around, what will absolutely impact you if you have plans to travel like I do. Let's first talk about the part you probably already know about. We've told you several times during a government shutdown, federal employees deemed essential will have to go to work, but will not be paid. That includes more than 85,000 federal employees like certain FAA workers and TSA agents. Thousands more will be furloughed. Now, during the last shutdown in 2018 and 2019, during the Trump administration, which stretched 35 days, by the end, these TSA and FAA workers got tired of going to work and not being paid, so they just started calling out sick. And that started to cause chaos at the airports nationwide, long security lines, and delayed flights. So depending on how long this shutdown lasts, we could see a repeat of those situations. But the other part of this double whammy is the law that authorizes the FAA to exist is scheduled to expire on the exact same day as the government shutdown. If it expires, the FAA will lose its legal authority to operate, which would stop airport modernization efforts, funding for equipment, funds for operations, and funds for airline consumer protections. Talk about a huge mess. So, how does it get fixed? Well, first, Congress needs to fund the government and avoid a shutdown. That is key here. And two, both the House and Senate need to pass a bill to reauthorize the FAA. The House actually passed a version of that FAA authorization bill with an overwhelming bipartisan vote back in July. But the Senate version has stalled out over a fight over pilot training hours and the retirement age for pilots. Now, a bipartisan group of senators has started to work on a short-term spending bill called a continuing resolution, which we have talked about in years prior when it comes to the government shutdown time of the year, to do both of those things, temporarily fund the federal government, including the FAA, and temporarily reauthorize the FAA through November 17th. The House Speaker said this week that he will not even consider that bill, though, and instead wants the FAA reauthorization to be separate from government spending. Something big is coming at the end of this week that will impact more than 3 million kids in this country, their working parents, and the economy, and this may even affect you whether you have kids or not. At midnight on Saturday, the American Rescue Plan will expire, and you might be thinking, what does a pandemic-era stimulus bill have to do with kids? Well, there was a provision in the bill that gave a total of $39 billion in new federal funding for child care. When the industry was struggling to stay afloat, about $24 billion of the fund was given to about 220,000 child care and early education centers nationwide to offset the extremely high cost of child care in this country. And it basically propped up 
the industry. The funding was also supplementing salaries for workers at the daycare centers, and about $15 billion of it was turned into grants for lower-income families to pay for child care so those parents had the chance to go back to work. But with that funding going away and child care costs rising faster than inflation for the last five straight months, some experts believe that it's very possible that as many as 70,000 child care centers or one in three in this country could close. And the ones that are able to stay open will likely increase their prices. And in this already tough economy, that means many parents are going to be left with a difficult choice. Either quit their jobs to take care of the kids or do what they can to stretch the family budget even further to pay those higher prices. Now, even if you don't have kids, here's why this could impact you. This whole mess could drive up inflation for all of us. I've been reporting that the jobs market is finally starting to cool off, and when the jobs market cools off enough, the Federal Reserve is projecting that people's wages will start to fall in line with inflation and the cost of goods and services will then start to come down. But... If more parents are forced to leave the workforce to take care of their kids, that opens up a bunch of jobs, which will then heat up the jobs market again. That drives up inflation. And do you know what else drives up inflation? Increased child care costs. And simple supply and demand theory says when fewer child care centers are available and more kids need to be watched, the price for that service goes up. And don't forget when those child care centers close, all those workers will be let go. And that could amount up to 230,000 jobs lost, which would then drive up the unemployment rate. The Democrats in the House have been pushing for months to add $16 billion in emergency child care funding this year to the budget to try and steer us away from this iceberg that we're heading for. But that proposal is going nowhere in the House as Republicans say that it is this spending that is driving up inflation. So what did President Biden do? Last week, for the first time in U.S. history, the president established the White House Office for Gun Violence Prevention. The office will take on four main responsibilities. The first one being to make all gun laws are being implemented across the country, including the bipartisan gun safety bill that was signed into law last year that extended background checks, expands the use of red flag laws, and expands access to mental health services and diversion programs. Two, this office will coordinate more support for survivors of shootings their families and their communities and the support is going to look a lot different than it has looked in the past three the office will identify new executive actions that the president can take within his legal authority to reduce gun violence and for expand the correlation of partners in states and local governments to get more gun prevention laws placed at the states and local government now, of course, as you probably know, these actions aren't going to solve the gun issue in this country. Even many gun safety advocates say what the president did this week doesn't go far enough. But the fact is, there's not a lot that the president can do on his own. So the president ended his speech with a demand to Congress to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. The answer is no. Judge Tonya Chachin just ruled against former President Trump, and she will not recuse herself from his federal election interference criminal case. We told you last week Trump's lawyers argued that some of the things the judge said during sentencing bearing of conviction January 6th rioters should disqualify her from the former president's case because they said it proved that she was 
biased against the former president. The judge flatly denied that in her 20-page ruling, saying the former president's lawyers completely misinterpreted the law when it comes to sentencing guidelines. She says she is required to give reasons for why she was sentencing those defendants and used facts examined by the prosecution and defense during the trial to do so. She said a reasonable person aware of the statutory requirement that the court address the defendant's arguments and state its reasons for its sentence would understand that in making the statements contested here, the court was not issue issuing vague declarations about third parties potential guilt in a hypothetical future case instead it was fulfilling its duty to expressly evaluate the defendant's arguments the former president can appeal this ruling but the bar for the federal appeals court or even the supreme court to get involved in this kind of decision is very very high it looks like we're going to see the former president stand trial on tv for those RICO charges in Georgia. That's because in a surprise move Thursday afternoon, the Trump legal team filed a notice that says he will not try and move his Georgia criminal election interference case to federal court. The reason? The Trump legal filing says Trump was a, quote, well-founded confidence that this honorable court intends to fully and completely protect his constitutional rights to a fair trial and guarantee him a due process of the law throughout the prosecution of his case, end quote. And this comes after his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, lost his bid to move his Georgia state criminal case to federal court just a few weeks ago. And now, if and when the former president's case goes to trial, the Georgia state court judge has already ruled that every single hearing will be broadcast online and on TV. So we will see the former president on trial in real time. We don't know when Trump's case will go to trial, but the trial of two of his co-defendants, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbro, will begin on October 23rd. Home prices rose in July as low supply continued to frustrate buyers. The S&P CoreLogic case shows National Home Price Index, which measures home prices across the nation, gained 1% from a year earlier in July after holding steady the prior month. On a month-over-month -month basis, the index increased a seasonally adjusted 6 tenths in July. Rising mortgage rates have pushed home buying affordability to its lowest level in decades, reducing demand, but higher rates have also spooked potential home sellers who would need to give up their low mortgage rate and buy another home at a higher rate. The supply of homes for sale has remained unusually low, supporting home prices, and the median existing home sale price rose 3.9% in August from a year earlier to $407,100, according to the National Association of Realtors. Getting into rapid news, the last Netflix DVDs are being mailed out today, marking the end of an era. And former President Trump has said that he believes that Mar-a-Lago is worth $1.8 billion, despite the fact that his company recently said that, according to their evaluation, that was $1.5 billion too high. Nick, what do you got for this Friday morning good news? All right, so for this one... We have a bunch of college students just coming together to do something wonderful for their supervisor uh, at the place where they worked and really just an entire college coming together. So it all started with Karen, who 
is one of the supervisors at a Starbucks right near the nearby college campus. Uh, she lives close to the campus, and the Starbucks is right on the edge of the campus as well. And so you have a lot of students both working there, and you have a lot of students and faculty coming to obviously get coffee and other stuff from that Starbucks. And so she knows like everyone there. She has a very good relationship with so many of the students and so much of the faculty. And for a long time, her car had been, you know, just kind of running on its last legs. It was a 2004. It just wasn't running all that well at the time. And then things just started to get worse. According to Karen, there were several different occasions where parts were stolen out of her vehicle. And so obviously this made it run even worse and it could barely run at all. The battery had already been having issues and she needed several jump starts from neighbors and such. And so she was talking about this uh, to one of the workers. Now, this was a rare occurrence. She didn't usually talk about the struggles that she was having. And actually, it was less the fact that she talked about it and more the fact that the other workers at that Starbucks realized that there was just a lot going on and that she didn't like to talk about it. And then there was one conversation that she had about it as well. And so one of the workers and also one of the students at the college went back to her dorm room one night and just set up a fundraiser to try and raise a little money for Karen to see if they couldn't just help her out, help her move closer to getting a new car and just living a little more comfortably. Well, the initial goal was $10,000 and they didn't really even expect to necessarily hit that. It was just an ambitious goal. Well, it turns out this ambitious goal sparked a large result as there were over 1,000 200 donations to this fundraiser, which equated to a total of $40,000 and counting. It is still running now and building now. The biggest donation came from the university's president, and that was $5,000 as a donation from him. And so this has just absolutely sparked the hearts of all the students at the college and the faculty and now she is on her way, Karen is, to getting a brand new vehicle. That's a great story. Well, it shows community coming together to support one another. And that's exactly what came to mind as soon as I read this. Is I just wanted to bring a story that just showed the closeness that a good community can have. And this is less even like your neighborhood type story or your town type story. This is just a college coming together. People from all different places, backgrounds, they're here in this one place, you know, learning together. And so they kind of form a community of their own. And so they were able to come together for this. Just huge hearts to all of them to absolutely blow this goal out of the water and, you know, quadruple it essentially. Exactly. That is the end of this Friday morning news episode. We will be back here Sunday morning for what to expect for the week of October 1st. And of course, Monday morning with a news episode. Until then, everybody enjoy the start of your weekend. Bye, guys. Bye.